want to review where we began last week uh, as, a, as a touch for an intro for, for this week, for some context. And so let's, let's begin the chapter together and look at verse 1 through 6. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, because the the word that I have spoken to you, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. And you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. As we prepare to dig into verses 7 through 11 today, looking back at verses 1 through 6 that I just read, this word abide is so key. It's the word used most throughout this entire chapter. And it means to continue, to remain, to dwell, hold fast in Christ. To abide is to stay plugged into the source of life, which is Christ himself. We do not thrive in the Christian life by turning away or unplugging. It is in these seasons that we are drifting or unplugged. We drift, we, we, we wander, we, we slow down, we, we more easily pursue sin instead of Jesus. To abide is to remain consistently in Christ, pondering His Word, acting for His glory and will, living out who He is in you. To abide in Jesus is to always be desperate for and dependent on Him. This is why the branch and the vine is a metaphor the Lord uses here. It's really perfect because the branch that is separated from the vine is dead. It has no source of life. It cannot bear fruit by attaching itself to the rock or the dirt. It is desperate for the vine and then must abide in the vine to thrive in life. Let me remind us all that in no way is our faith started or continued by our own works or will. To be in Christ, grafted into the vine, is the work solely of God. The work of God. To make us alive, to give us new birth, is the words we've seen in John. And even to sustain us and continue us forever in Him. That is God's work. That's to be in Christ. But to abide in Christ is not the same thing as being in Christ. Abiding in Christ is our daily practice, focus, grip, dwelling, remaining, feasting 
on Jesus and not all the other things that surround us. It is how we thrive and do the Christian life. Jesus is going to bring this to greater clarity today as we study verses 7 through 11. So let's look to these now. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. The word of our Lord for today. Lots to cover in your bolts, and you have a sermon note outline. I encourage you to consider it, use it, write down questions, thoughts, notes, observations that we might not just glance over these words this morning, but dig deeply into them, that our living God would do a mighty work in us today as a result of being here in this time. First, if my words abide in you, John 7, John 15, 7, Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. So there's a, an emphasis here, a greater clarity. Jesus is building on what he's already said to abide in him. Now he's saying, and my words need to abide in you. So what does it look like for Jesus' words to abide in us? It means our daily diet must be the holy word of God. It will be hard, if not downright impossible, to truly abide in Jesus daily, moment by moment, Live for His will, live for His name and glory and not your own, if you are not feasting on God's Word regularly and deeply. I've shared this quote from John Piper before. It still holds true and it fits well here. There is a spiritual diet without which no Christian can be strong and healthy and fruitful. That is a diet of the Word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, quoting Deuteronomy 8, 3, when combating the temptations of Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Are you living on things other than God and the word of God? Are you looking for your satisfaction, your strength, your endurance, your wisdom from other sources, other places? In Paul's letter to the church in Philippi that we are studying this summer at midweek, if you have found a way to be busy on Tuesday or Wednesday nights, I encourage you to make your way our way. We'd love to have you. It's been a great study so far. 
He says this in chapter 2, 14 through 16, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Holding fast translates, hold your position, hold your gaze, hold your grip. It's abiding language. 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching or on your doctrine, what you believe. Watch it, guard it. Know it well. That's abiding language. Acts chapter 3, verse 5. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something in, from them. An attention, focus on the Word of God, that it would do its mighty work in his life. Abiding language. The idea of holding fast with your attention or your person, holding your position on the word of life, means not doing it for a moment and then leaving it behind to go on to other pursuits, practices, routines. But there's a constant walk in it. Staying fixed on the word of life, giving yourself over to the word of life, letting the word of God abide in you. In a world full of lies and deception and manipulation and self-serving man-made intentions, we are desperate for the truth of God to give us a stable place to continue to build our lives on. You can't treat this as just another aspect of how you might figure out how to navigate this thing. It needs to be that rudder, that foundation for us, that constant this is the picture the psalmist gives in psalm 1 verse 1 through 3 blessed is the man and i'll get right to the point whose delight is in the law of the lord and on his law he meditates day and night He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. You see the similar language of the vine and the branches and bearing fruit. And what's the constant? Roots deep into Christ, into his word, abiding, not cruising by the stream to get a little lap of a drink and then going about your way, planting yourself there, living there, never moving beyond it. To let God's word abide in you, as Jesus is calling that it should, is putting it deep into the soil of your heart, so that your roots are deep, you're grounded, you're secured there. What a blessing that is. 
When we first moved to Bakersfield, I told you the story that the, the, our backyard had pepper trees in it, and they were very shallow roots, big trees. And one by one, with any kind of wind or storm that blew through our property, they started falling over and tearing my fence apart. Shallow roots were vulnerable to the storm. Deep roots cause a tree to endure the storm. I, I love the the re, I love to redeem the false hood of Greek mythology, and there's one that I really love, and it's the idea of the the sailors going out and the, the sirens, the temptresses would call them, beckon them, tempt them to literally plunge off the boats to their death. I think we can kind of gather that imagery and the world that surrounds us and the temptations that are constant. And so in this story, the sailors would bind themselves in that area to the mast tie themselves to the mast, ground themselves, root themselves, so they wouldn't be as vulnerable to just flippantly, casually fall into the temptation and wander over the side into their death. They would be bound. And I, I like that imagery for what the Word of God is to us when our roots are deep in it and we're trusting it and we're knowing it and holding fast to it, abiding in it, is it grounds us. It gives us endurance to not be played, to be tempted and, and flip-flopped into nonsense and sin and self-servingness. Why is it so critical that Jesus' words abide in us my word would abide in you, he's saying. Number one, Jesus' words are the words of God. They're not just other words. They're God's words. We saw in chapter 3, verse 34 of John, whom he whom God has sent utters the words of God. When Jesus is speaking, God is speaking. John 1.1 1, 1 describes Jesus as the Word. Revelation 1.8 describes Him as the Alpha and the Omega, the alphabet of God. Jesus' words are the words of God. May they abide in us. Why is it so critical that Jesus' words abide in us? Number two, Jesus' words are life-giving. Jesus said in John 6.63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. Physical life begins with the Word of God, the Bible tells us. Hebrews 11.3, Psalm 33.4, By His Word we are created. See the power of His Word. Hebrews 1.3, he upholds the universe by the power of his word. Not only does our physical life begin in God's word, but our spiritual life begins in God's word. See life in the word of God. James 1.18, by his own, he brought us forth 
by the word of truth. 1 Peter 1.23, you have been born anew through the living and abiding word of God. Born anew, new birth. Jesus' words are life-giving. Number three, Jesus' words conquer the devil. We have a supernatural adversary, enemy, the devil. He hates us. He hates our children. He hates our church. He hates our marriages. He hates God. So this is why John says to young Christians in 1 John 2.14, I write you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. The devil cannot stand against the indwelling word of God. What did Jesus use? The Son of God, God in flesh. What did he use to combat the devil? He toppled a mountain on him. No. Created a hole to the abyss and made him fall into it. No. He put him in a maze. No. He spoke the words of God. He quoted scripture. Every time, every temptation, the word of God says this. Liar, I will combat your lies with the truth of God's word. Speak it to myself so that I would not lay, lay to your lies and temptations and to you. Set you straight. Let's get practical for a moment. To abide in the word of God to let God's words abide in us, you have to spend time in it. You don't just know this by osmosis. Like sit it a little closer to you while you watch TV. It doesn't work that way. You have to spend time. You need to memorize it so that His words can be thought of and spoken to yourself. In any given situation. To study it deeply, not just casually. Not just five minutes a day. You, you, you throw it on, on your stereo in your bathroom while you take a shower and shave and do your hair. That's... that's Better than nothing, but that's not abiding. Church, you must feast in the Word of God. Make time. You must fight to flood your minds and hearts with God's Word much more than we do. And please don't say you, have, you don't have time. You have 24 hours a day. We just choose to use our time for a lot of other things. Good things. Sleep is good. Work is good. 
Eating's good. Loving your family is good. But all that is not better than abiding in the Word of God. So do those things. But not at the expense of, I got five minutes, God. Can this thing talk at me faster? Let me turn up the speed. It's not abiding. There's little changes some of you might be thinking of. Okay, I can make little changes. But I would probably contend that for more of you, what needs to really be thought of is the bigger changes. Those of you who, who work a lot of hours need to start working a little less. I would say the less money you would bring home for your family would be of exponentially less value than what the value of you abiding in the Word of God would mean for your family and your heart and your soul and your testimony. And there, there is no test that I know of that wins you big money because you are up to speed on every Netflix TV show available. But if we were honest, a lot of us abide a lot of hours in things like that. It's no wonder why so many Christians feel that they are very spiritually malnourished and often feel very distant from God. They don't feel the overwhelming joy of the Lord and, and uh, an improving, maturing knowledge of His Word and maturity of life unto discipleship of others. I'm not saying there's no room for TV or social media or games or music or whatever. I just think we need a less diet of that and a greater diet of the Word of God. God did not save us to sit around, do our 20 years in our job, 30 years, get some kids and grandbabies, have the dream vacation, wait for him to come back. He saved us to grow in him, to be prepared and to fight sin and the work of flesh, to boldly testify of the gospel for the making much of his name, for the saving of lost souls. I can't take us where we need to go as a church unless you are abiding in the word of God with me. So I'm here today as your shepherd, one of your shepherds, to, to say, in this we must abide. Is it abiding in you? I just pray there's some good practical conversation, change, um, doing to come out of that. Let's move on. Notice in this verse, if you abide in me, and my word abides in you. Ask whatever you wish, and, if, and it will be done for you. This connects very much to what we saw in chapter 14, 13 and 14, just not very long ago, when Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 
Now he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I said clearly back then, I won't spend too much time on it today, this is not what, modern, what many modern day proclaimed Christians have made it to be, which is just, you just call out the name of Jesus, you claim the name of Jesus on it, and, and he'll give it to you. That's a prosperity gospel. This is not talking about God becoming our genie in the lamp. Jesus' point is when we are in him, abiding in his word, living for his name, he will do what we ask. Because what we ask for when we are in him and his words abiding in us is the fulfillment not of our fleshly desires, nor our name, but his holy desires and his eternal name. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done are words that our flesh hears and says, ooh, I want that power to serve myself. But the one who is abiding in Jesus hears those words and says, Jesus is going to use me to do his work to fulfill his will, and I get to be part of that. It's all about him, his plans, his commands, his glory, and not mine. Not mine. Church, let us never be done marveling at the fact that we get to be part of his will and His glory, and His work. That we get to abide in the holy fellowship of the holy eternal trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And get to make much of His name among the nations. And forevermore. That is truly stellar news. Let us not take a verse like this and turn it into something that's about me. And thereby miss the whole point of what Jesus is saying is so good about what we get to do for him. Looking at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. By what is the Father glorified? The answer, abiding in Christ and letting his words abide in you and doing his will. It's according to all that Jesus has just said. And what does that mean? We will bear much fruit. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he that bears much fruit. John 15, 5. Fruit honors God. Why? Because it puts God on display. I mean real fruit, real character change, real God-honoring living. Not you're being a good person and mustering up some good stuff. No, no, see real fruit as God-honoring living. That fruit puts the Spirit on display, not us. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Why Why is this so important? Branches don't grow fruit. 
So why am I going to boast in the fruit I'm growing? It's not my fruit. It's fruit that God's growing in and through me. He's putting on display. It's his hand, his work, his glory, his grace on display in my life. This is why we don't ever boast in ourselves but in God. Because God is the one who causes the good we do. The fruit of the Spirit. We bear it. He grows it. Therefore, the transformation of our lives shows the evidence of God's work in and through us. It's His handiwork, His glory on display. Galatians 6.14 Far be it from me, Paul says, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It is, it is blessed me to die to the world, to live to Christ. 1 Corinthians one thirty one, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. By this my Father is glorified. Why? Because that fruit... That abiding life that produces a maturing fruit puts on display a great God. He is glorified in it. Now, the flesh, our flesh, our sinful, selfish flesh, doesn't want to pass off the glory. We want the glory. But in Christ, to be his and in him and for him is the prize that is to be desired. Let me remind you with 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, that in Christ, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, we want to bear the name of Jesus. We want to be known as Jesus' disciples. He says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so to prove to be my disciples. We want to be seen and known as Jesus' disciples, even though, now get this, the world will hate you because you are Jesus' disciples. Do you see how if I'm trying to appease the flesh, that, that's not happy. <laughs> But if I'm dying to myself to live to Christ, and it's my joy to know him and walk in him, even though the world will hate me, I want to be known as a disciple of Jesus. I am, it is my joy to suffer for his name's sake. We're going to dig into that theme in the next couple weeks as we continue to move through chapter 15. The joy that it is to suffer for his name's sake. There is no greater identity in this world than to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
We did not aim low in our new name as a church. Let it be a constant reminder to the high call, great privilege it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 8, back to chapter 8, we're in 15. That was a long way ago, wasn't it? John 8, verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, they were following, they were looking like they were discipling. He qualifies, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Very similar language here that we see today, abiding in, in his word. So proved to be his disciples, he says in chapter 8, 31, you, prove, you are truly my disciples. Remember, Jesus makes that comment on the heels of verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So there's this, this influx, this crowd, this mass of what looks like new faith, new followers. But Jesus knows the hearts of men. He knows how real it is that superficial faith happens. He's pointing out that some proved to truly be saved disciples and others proved to be false disciples who only for a time followed and walked. And submitted to him but they walked away so the emphasis in jesus words in chapter 8 is truly you are truly my disciples i want to be truly his i don't want to think i'm his i don't want to pretend i'm his i don't want to kind of be his i want to truly be his so he's saying here's the litmus test and we, and we need to see it, is the word abide. That's the evidence that I am actually in Christ, is that there is an abiding, a desire to abide, a practice of abiding, a maturing in my abiding. Again, abide means to stay fixed, to continue, to remain, to endure And we see this language all over. Back to the verse I mentioned last week, 1 John 2.19. John, the writer of this gospel, writes letters later. 1 John, his first letter, chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, not that they were really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. They would have continued. They would have continued to abide. But they went out, so showing that they were not of us. What is the key ingredient to the evidence that you are a true disciple? You remain. The writer of Hebrews emphasizes this well many times, but most clearly in chapter 10, verse 38, quoting Habakkuk. That was a great study. Minor prophet Habakkuk that we studied years ago. Hebrews 10, 38. My righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Then he says in verse 39, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere, preserve their souls. Sorry, preserve, 
preserve their souls. There's an ongoing, there's an enduring, there's a finishing, an abiding, a remaining. The one who turned back, the one who walked away and said, forget it, started showing evidence that they truly are the Lord of their lives, not Jesus is the Lord of their lives. God had no pleasure in them. But those of true faith, the true disciples, preserved their souls. They, They were not destroyed. They finished. In Christ, you remain dependent on Him. You are not just dependent on Him for a moment to punch your golden ticket to get to go to heaven. You're not just dependent on Him when you're in that really tight spot and you cry out to Him in prayer. You're dependent on Him in all of life. You abide in Him. His Word instructs, abides, waters your soul. So in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. This is Jesus' call in the Great Commission and what he's told us to do. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go into all the world and make disciples. And how are we to make disciples? Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So understanding of the truth and then lasting obedience to it is the constant marker of those who are saved. Will we struggle? Yes. Will we slide back? Yes. Will we have crazy moments of being off our rocker? Yes. It is not perfection. But you will return. You will repent. You will say, my pride got the best of me once again. My ego. Me wanting what what the flesh wanted. But Jesus is my Lord, and so I repent and I pursue him again. We heard in John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Church, this is why we take God's word here at Disciples Church so seriously. This is why I want to teach and preach his word faithfully. Why I want us to study the word regularly and deeply because we are serious about making true disciples. Disciples who endure, who remain, who abide. Parents, yeah, maybe your kids are doing really good in this season. But are you training them in the Word? Helping them mature so that when the greatest temptations of life are before them, they remain They hold fast. The greatest thing you can inspire your spouse or loved ones to do is to prioritize their walk with God, their time with God. I want my wife to have a great love affair, a deep intimacy with someone other than me. with her Lord and King. I want her to be so much more crazy about Him than me. Am I inspiring that in her? Am I making time for that for her? Am I encouraging that in her? It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to actually do that. Look at verse 9. 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Here we see the love of the Father for the Son. In this we see the beauty of the gospel. Let's see the gospel this morning, church, in this part of the text. It is glorious. At Jesus' baptism, God the Father says of Jesus, Matthew 3.17 is the text reference. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Do you hear the love of the Father for His Son? You need to understand that the Holy Trinity, the eternal, always has been, is, and always will be, triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it is there that true love is. God is love. And everything about real life and real love traces its origins back to the Trinity. If you remember, uh, a, a tool of study is the uh, principle of first mention. The first mention of love in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. And the context is God speaking to Abraham about his love for his son. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Many times the place something is first mentioned gives us great context of understanding it elsewhere. The Jewish people knew God's word so well, they would have greatly understood love in the context of the love of a father for his son. Jesus is saying here, chapter 15, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Wow. That needs to mean something when you really get the powerful display and imagery that God has given about the love of a father for his son. And now that love has been given from Christ to us. Without the love and sacrifice of the Son, we would not know the love of God. God the Son brings it to us, His chosen people. Without the Son, we would not know the love of God. 1 John 4, 7-9, Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. To have the love of God, we need the love and sacrifice of the Son of God. 1 John 5.12 Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Jesus, our elder brother in the adopted order of the family of God, paid the highest price to redeem us who were once orphans, enslaved to sin, slaves to sin. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, 
When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's good news for the ladies too. In the context of the, these writings, to be adopted as a, as a son is what you want to. To redeem means to obtain by paying a high price. The high price God paid to adopt us as sons is the blood of Jesus. Recognize you are either a spiritual orphan lost on the streets, only looking forward to eternal death, or you are adopted into the family of the king for whom you will forever feast and enjoy with God. Jesus had to be, it says in Hebrews 2.17, made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's what the son did. Think about it. Don't miss it this morning, church. Think about what the elder brother did for us. Think about what he gave up for us. Philippians 2, 6-8, Though he was God, he did not account quality with God something to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Not only was the incarnation of Jesus, him putting on flesh, a huge gift of mercy, but his willingness to die in our place on the cross is the biggest gift he could ever give us. And he did this while we were his enemies. We didn't kind of become his neighbor and like, honey, I'm thinking about giving my life for our really cool neighbors. I really like these guys. I mean, I, I think they're worthy of it. No, no, no. Enemies. So we're trying to burn down his house. So our house stands bigger than his house. That's our effort in sin. He says, I'm going to die for them. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Praise God for the Son of God. Amen. We must understand that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God, what he did for his people. He delivered us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See the gospel here, church. The gospel changes everything. You have to see it. You have to savor it. To understand the fullness of your sonship, of the Father's love for the Son, see the fullness of that, and the Son's love for you to buy you into the family at the cost of His life. It is in all of this that Jesus says in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then what does He say? Abide. Abide in my love. He's saying, sons, daughters, blood-bought family, don't just claim Jesus loves you. Don't just say you love God. Abide in His love. 
That, that's the change we're looking for in our children as they're raised in the church. If we're doing our job, they at a young age will know that God loves them and they will learn to say they love God. But until they're saved, they're still an enemy of God. We're looking for evidence of them seeing the fullness of their depravity and a right confession that they are desperate for Jesus, that nothing under your covering is good enough for them for their salvation. And they stand on their own two feet and say, I am. I belong to Jesus. Jesus is my master. I will serve him the rest of my life. He's died in my place. I'm desperate for him alone. I'll die for the name of Jesus. That's who I am. I want to abide in his love every day. Remain, dwell, hold fast to the love of God that is now yours in Jesus. The love of God is so good. Church, don't look at the love of God from across the room. Don't just talk about the love of God online. Don't don't just wear a t-shirt about it. Or worse, a bumper sticker. <laughs> Abide in it. Let the love of God be known and shown in the worst hour of your day when your kids are like devils. When your boss is a total piece of work. When the idiot driver almost just ruined your new car. Abide in the love of Jesus. And let it transform you not to live by flesh or by sight, but by faith in Christ. Now society, the society we live in, the culture we live in, will say that this is simply a feeling a tickle, a gushy feeling of love that you dwell in it. And some of you struggle with this concept of abiding in love because you're going, man, I just don't feel that, that feeling. And I'm trying to tell you today, it's not that feeling thing. It is a lifestyle. It is an identity. It is a commitment of obedience and devotion. How do I know that? Look at what Jesus says next. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How do we abide in his love? By feelings? No. By obedience. This is so unpopular in the Christian ease culture we live in. I can't even tell you. There are a lot of real feeling-based people claiming the name of Jesus that would almost boo me off the stage. So many churches, so many Christians get caught up in the feelings of Christianity. And no wonder then when the storms really rage, why they're like, tap out, I'm done. That if you speak about obedience, you are deemed a radical or a legalistic nut job. 
If you speak the words of Jesus, let me point out, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You are proclaimed out to lunch in our modern culture. If you live like Jesus lived, how did he live? Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. You are proclaimed out to lunch by our modern culture. Church, this is why we suffer, why we will suffer and will be persecuted, why Disciples Church will not be liked much by the watching world out there. Because much of what is out there is man-driven and not word-driven. I want to be driven by the Master and what He's called me to. I want our church to be accountable and driven and faithful to what our Master has called us to. Not what we think they want to hear or what we think it needs to look like. That is a dangerous road, a slippery slope. John fifteen eleven. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. I love this verse. I love it. In the beginning of chapter 14, Jesus said, let your hearts not be troubled. Some hard times are coming for them. Jesus is physically going to leave. They're going to watch their master get torn apart. So he's emboldening them, a foundation of truth of who they are, who he is, what he's going to do while he's gone physically who they are in Christ, instructions like this and good, helpful teaching to abide. goes on to tell them many wonderful things. And then he says here, these things, all these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. He's fighting for their joy. Not a joy in their circumstances. He's saying, don't look to your circumstances for your joy. It's a joy found only in Christ. The prize of all prizes is to be in Christ, to be in His eternal love, the eternal love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's saying one of the greatest blessings it is to be in Christ, to have His joy then in us, to have the lasting and eternal and all-satisfying joy of the Lord in us, means then our joy is full. In other words, you can't be more joyful than to have the love and life of Christ in you. To have his joy, his love, is the true source of joy and love. Everything else that you might find for joy and love is counterfeit, is second rate. Everything else is fleeting, it's temporary, it's circumstantial. You may know in this life what it is to be very happy. You may look back on some moments of your life and go, that was the peak. Oh, I was elated, ecstatic. It was unbelievable. You might know that from a love relationship you've been in or an amazing vacation you took or jumping out of a plane 
Maybe, maybe you've got to perform or speak before a large crowd. Maybe, maybe you have that moment from a drug or an, an intimate encounter from maybe the birth of a child. But can I just say all of those things are momentary, are moments in a season of life. And even if they just might happen to be, and very few of any of those things are, a lifetime long, that is nothing compared to eternity. Only God is eternal. Only the joy he provides is sustaining and satisfies like nothing else. King David said it so well, speaking of the Lord in Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Church, if you know me, then you know I, I would love to preach this verse for about 18 weeks. <laughs> but we're going to close. And one of the reasons why I can do that confidently is because we've been building on this understanding and because in the verses to come, in the sermons to come, he's going to keep expanding on what he said right there. So we'll be back to it. I pray that you would truly heed and, and savor the, the good news today. I pray you are in Christ. If not, that you would repent and believe in him and be saved. And if you are in Christ, then, then that you would abide in him and his word. And that the joy of Christ would be in you and that your joy would be full. Amen. Lord God, I thank you for this good word of our Lord, Jesus' words, all red, all red letters, Lord, all, all the words of Jesus, the words of God, ministering to us today, to our hearts, to our lives. Challenging us, encouraging us, exhorting us, shaping us, giving us a right view instead of the wrong view we've had, helping us see that there's many good things you've given us. They are good, but we've made them ultimate things. We've made them idols in our lives. We've, we've looked to them to be our identity, our strength, our joy. Lord, that we would look to you, the only one who sustains, the only one who remains faithful, so that then we could rightly steward those other things, those other blessings and good things in our life so that we could say no to the bad things to the sinful things and avoid temptation so that you would be glorified so that we would get to be part of doing your will we love you we we celebrate the grace, the, the gift you gave us that we did not deserve. We acknowledge who we are as enemies of you and you broke in and saved us while we were your enemies. Lord, help us to see how desperate we are to abide in Jesus every step of the way as we sing this song and prepare to go on our way today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.